0: So we realized, fully realized, that China using education as a tool to uprooting our young generation from our cultural roots. In my place, they started that pre-boarding school in 2016, September. It completely shifted into another language of cultural genocide from such a young age, age four to six. It's a forceful, her parents has no choice. If they had a choice, it's another story.
1: Welcome to Roof of the World, Tibet in Context, a podcast by the Foundation for Nonviolent Alternatives.
0: Thank you so much, every one of you, um, brothers and sisters here. Um, I, The reason I came here, It's just to raise an alarm, the Tibetan situation is getting way serious, dangerous, ever before. Uh, If this situation continues, then I think that the 5,000 years of the Tibetan history of the civilization can be ended. And at the same time, more seriously, I think, Uh, If this situation continues more than 15 to 20 years, um, the inside Tibetan people won't be able to receive the result of reconciliation between His Holiness Dalai Lama and the Chinese government because this such a serious, dangerous program that Xi Jinping implementing in Tibetan area is. They, since 2016, September, they keeping the our age four to six kids in the boarding school without having the, any teachers who know any single Tibetan words. They sending the Chinese uh, undergraduate students to be a teacher to get the teaching experience. They're not even, taking our kids seriously, just seeing our kids as, as a ex, ex, experimental tools.
1: That was Tibetan professor, Gyalo, speaking to an audience of British parliamentarians at Westminster a few days ago in the UK. Dr. Gyalo is an educational sociologist who taught uh, Tibetan language and culture at China's University for Nationalities in the Northwest, Eastern China. He gained a PhD from the University of Toronto and went on to teach education at the University of Yunnan in the PRC. And Dr. Gyallo fought for many years to protect Tibetan language and the Tibetan language-based curriculum in schools. But when policies in China took a darker turn, he saw no alternative but to leave Tibet and to bear witness on a global stage. He's done so in the most powerful way possible, prompting an investigation by four UN rights rapporteurs, testifying at the Canadian House of Commons and many other forums. He's worked with Tibet Action Institute to produce a powerful report on Tibet's colonial boarding schools. We're here today to talk about Genla's personal story. It's so rare to have the chance to speak to a Tibetan scholar in exile with this experience and this level of expertise. Tibetans are currently locked into the plateau. Scholars are not allowed to travel A gathering of Tibetologists from all over the world in Prague last year brought together people from China. It brought together people from Europe, from America, from across Asia, from India, where the Dalai Lama lives. But there were no Tibetan scholars from inside Tibet for the first time in this gathering of scholars. So Tibetans are not able to, to mix with their exile counterparts. So I would, I would like to speak to you, Professor, about your journey. You were born in Amdo. You received the highest levels of education in the PRC system and in the Western system. And you worked over many, many years to create a space for Tibetan religious civilization and culture to thrive. And I'd like to first take you back to those years when you were trying to protect that space for Tibetan language and literature and culture. And how how did you do that? How did you do that? How did you keep it alive as Chinese policies started to take a turn in a different direction and to tighten further under Xi Jinping?
0: Uh, uh, thank you so much for getting together to talk about this. Let um, me get uh, back a bit earlier from my life career, and that will uh, articulate the reason why I did for the uh, the program when I was in uh, faculty members, Tibetan language and cultural department in Northwest University for Nationality in Landau. that's university uh, located in Lando. Uh, I was born in a village, grew up there, and then it, experienced the whole education system. And uh, in 1995, uh, I graduated from my first MA in Tibetan, language and culture department. Mm -hmm. Then, um, one of the top scholars, who is my teacher, we call his name Doshirbuchi, he decided to appoint me as a faculty member in the same department. And I told, I started my academic career there. Uh, I taught there for more than decades. And, there are a number of the students who graduated while I was there. I think it over 1500. And, uh, so those students now are working the Tibetan plant, Uh, every level of the culture, Tibetan cultural institution, and organization. Um, Of course, the environment of the Northwest University for Nationality, that's a Tibetan Language Culture Department, that's a leading source of the Tibetan national movement, I think, Mm -hmm. conceptually, that's a great department, Uh, they shut down that uh, institution uh, as a high education institution in September 2020. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Completely shut down. Yeah,
0: completely. Now you can't find the the department anymore. So this, so throughout in the early year uh, when i was in uh, my department doing my undergraduate study we engaged all the way about the tibetan movement and the intellectual way of the uh, we should be um there are a lot number of the key scholars who told us the history there and then around of course, we had, a, at the beginning, nineteen seventy nine, start that year, we settled the, they settled the boarding preschool gradually, across Tibet, almost every township. And uh, so that's kind of a boarding school, colonial boarding school ran over the 30 years, almost. We couldn't understand. What does it mean, you know? And then in, after I, I graduated my first MA in my department, then we start the thinking about this. But something's wrong there with our society and our people's capacity who graduated from university even. But still the society is having the difficulty move forward for the development. We struggled with that a lot. And then we started thinking, what's wrong with our education system? At the end we realized that our colonial school system, boarding school system has a huge problem which is with the core elements of the education system. We call that curriculum. Uh, we analyzed the curriculum or the whole te- uh, textbook and the curriculum system and we realized the whole curriculum is designed as a pure colonial ideology based on And the contents of textbooks are only 15% or to 25% of the knowledge in the textbook or the rest of the seven, 75 or 80% of the Knowledge in the textbook or the Chinese book culture. So we realized, fully realized that China using education as a tool to uprooting our young generation from our cultural roots throughout the curriculum, design the curriculum system, and also the language policy, language in education policy too. So we, once so we. the re-
1: curriculum was in Chinese. Yeah, the okay.
0: curriculum is at the beginning. Uh, they allow us. They organize a certain group of people to translate fully translate into China, Tibetan. Uh, what's the realization we got at that time in ninety around the ninety eighty ninety nine 1998, we realized that the using the uh, using our language to teach their Chinese culture to our kids.
1: So, so they use language. Yeah.
0: Mm. So they call this as a mm. Model 1 Bilingual Education. Mm. Mm. Then there is another one model, which we call the Model 2 Bilingual Education, which is the allowing uh, teaching that kind of a textbook as so a one mm. subject and the rest of the subjects are taught in Chinese. So this means this produce the consequence of having that kind of a curriculum and a boarding school, which is a turn our three generation into the fit neither Chinese society nor Tibetan society. Mm-hmm. So it's with lower capacity, even they can't support themselves for the life without uh, becoming a uh, cheap labor, mm. uh, that one thing. And so, then, so
1: this was in the late 1990s. Yeah. So this was after the, when the Chinese government declared their policy of cutting off the serpent's head, yeah. which is eliminating yeah. 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 the influence of yeah. Yeah. the Dalai Lama from yeah. Yeah. Tibet. So this followed that
0: meeting. Yes. yes. The, throughout the history, the, his, uh, after His Holiness Dalai Lama left the Tibet, they did a number of the reform and revolution. I can call you uh, socialism re- reform and uh, democratical reform. It's so called, mm. and also the cultural revolution. Throughout those socialist reform, they just removed our people from the economic system. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the democratic reforms, reform, they pull out our figure and our people, stakeholders from our own governing system. That they be able to reestablish their own go- governing system, Chinese government system. And then they, even that, say, this is still not enough. Then they carry out the Cultural Revolution. Which is destroyed completely the visual cultural environment entirely. So this is a experience, the process of the the increase in the co- colonization. Mm. Uh, that's the general, the brief uh, uh, experience we had.
1: You, you visited some of those schools. Yeah, I will you, let you, you went to 50 yeah, yeah, of those schools.
0: I will schools. let you talk to them more later. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. um, then, mm. after they realized that the problem, school system has a curriculum problem, I engaged, fully engaged, the convincing the Chinese policy or Chinese policymakers for example, on the trip with the Chinese provincial official mm. to the Beijing in the train, we got a serious argument. I argue that why you put those, your Chinese historical story in my, our textbook instead of similar story from our culture. Mm. You know what they say the first time? They say, if you don't know our story, you won't get food to eat. Hmm. you you if you only know your culture you cannot survive that they sort of warning on the train to the way to Beijing at that time we just tried to convince the top policymaker change their policy what they have what they have now. another and then I think they still they could not change the policy we. Organize our own group to produce the, our own textbook based on Tibetan practical culture from grade one to three from grade three to six or four to six
1: which age would that be for uh,
0: that uh, I pu- published the first one in 1999 mm-hmm. the second one is uh, 2003 both book I
1: Aimed at young children, yes. so from the age of four or five. Yeah, yeah.
0: First one, age four to six. Uh, the first one, second one, age four, from grade one to three. <laughs> mm, both I uh, distribute the, the book across the bed. At that time, after one year, I my I distributed my book, and then I had a large. Uh, skill uh, training conference in my university. I invite the, most of the female teachers and I ask them when I was distributing book. So putting them to in charge of the teaching my book. And then in 2001 I had a that conference in my university. At the beginning the, t- t- the teacher saying that's a fantastic. That's the way we want, because this they catch our not only teacher and students, but also catch the parents of massive support, and that increase in the school intensity uh, dramatically. I think.
1: So uh, the teachers were very so happy that you provided. About it. yeah.
0: And then at the same mm-hmm. time, we uh, at the last time, last the day of the conference. And then some most teacher crying, Mm. Mister Jalo, this should be at the beginning. Why not? Why today? Mm. And I explained this. So this is a, I said, sorry, it's not my fault. Your fault either. We just realized our problem of the school system. Just recently, here. Yeah. and then I I'm doing this way to try to reverse that situation. Um, so that, that, and then after I distributed my book, to another uh, two years they banned uh, that those books. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, I think the situation first part of my experience. The second part, and I'm now I'm going to tell you that most of the dangerous things ha- it's uh, happening now. Um, In 2010, I heard that China is initializing a preschool education program and a policy. In 2011, I collaborated with uh, Chinese University and also other Mongolian, Uyghur, and Tibetan scholars we gathered together. We sort of uh, pre the what kind of a pre-education we should have. in uh, At that time in 2010 I, I heard this from 2013 China gonna implement a policy on the preschool education system across China. So
1: this was the very young children yeah. before they went yeah. to school and yeah. Before in Tibetan areas, this sort of education level didn't exist. Yeah. Tibetan children yeah. at the age of two, three, four, they didn't have there, any.
0: A, until six or seven, they'd be able to stay mm. with their parents. Stay at home, yeah. And then our report of that conference in 2011, we reported the Ministry of uh, Education in central government, China. And uh, that report is quite a, very strong. Because the first time we gathered the uh, local officials, ch- Chinese education researchers, Tibetan and uh, village representatives all get together. And then uh, since Xi Jinping took a position in t- from 2013, they uh, announced the new policy. We're going to have uh, implement the uh, preschool education policy. They announced, and then from two thousand sixteen, some of the places began in June. Some of the places in September. Different based on the different location. Um, in my place, they start that pre boarding school in two thousand sixteen September. Before I did not pay attention about this. Um, We thought there's going to be no way to against them, no way to resist in this how, because we don't know how they're going to implement it at that time. Uh, My brother one day, I think it's the evening, late November, 2016, he calling me. Brother, hey, come home. Um, Your two grandkids have something strange, things happening. We don't know how to analyze it. We don't know how to explain it. And I went home to pick up those two grandkids from the school gate.
1: How old were
0: they? At that time, one is age four, one is age five. And then... Took them to home On the while we were having the chat with uh, my father, my brother, and the sister in law, and those two kids, the parents. We were all speaking in Ch- uh, Tibetan. I carefully observed them, those two kids. The kids stay like over there, just keeping that distance a little bit, and they kept silent. They, they don't, I carefully observed, they didn't either hug their parents mm-hmm. the grandpa either. And then they keep sitting there as a guest or a stranger. You know, I clearly remember when I was visiting other villages, uh, relevant in the other village, I, how I remember how I sat as a guest in their room, right? And I saw it exactly the same. Those two green knees are, became a stranger as a guest there. Mm. And then again, I could observe them while they're playing, they're just speaking pure Chinese. Mm. This is just three, three months in that pre-school, boarding school. Boarding pre-school. Just three months. Mm. When I saw that as an educational research, I think this is not a unique. Experience case because China now implemented this policy in entire the society. It's so even
1: three months was enough for those yeah. two little girls to yeah. interact completely yeah. differently yeah. with their parents, with their family. Were their grandparents
0: yeah. there as well? Yeah. yeah. So they just uh, uncomfortable, uncomfortable, like uh, mm. in speaking in mother tongue. You know. This became like it's a not uh, not a smooth to emotional connection with their parents Mm. and the family. Mm. Um, And then I asked my brother, "What if we don't send the kids to the boarding school?" And all those villagers saying the same thing says, "Oh, well, if you don't, we don't have a choice." If we don't send the kids to boarding preschool, then later they won't let our children in the grade one. Which means you won't receive the education for entire life. Mm. The second thing is that they're receiving, somehow, sometimes they're receiving the benefit from government, or welfare or stuff. Uh, they're gonna completely block that for them, who won't, don't want to send the kids. If the situation worse, they strongly resisted sending the kids to the school, then they're going to simply put in the jail. It's very a very common situation. So, this is a. Well, they prison. Yeah. Have this, you
1: heard
0: of parents who've been. Uh, they uh, they warned them, a lot, um, many people. Um. And then parents think, anyhow, we won't succeed, we won't in against them. They're right. powerful enough. And then they just, well, this is the reality they carry to us. So then I saw this is not a unique case with my two grandnies. I decided to do a field work. I spent three years' summer across the regions to visit those. I said, look, Fifty or fifty-two, I don't exactly remember, but uh, uh, more than fifty school I visited. All those school, I get a chance to talk to teachers, kids, and uh, parents, principals. Were
1: well, these across the area of Ando and Calm? Yeah, uh-huh.
0: yeah. And then. The conclusion was the same with exactly the same as with my two companies kids are getting become stranger at home That's how they pull our generation from cultural roots from between our cultural identity from the family. This is how I visually see this. Mm. You know, it's a linguistic aspect, they're genocided already, right? And then the psychological aspect, they already genocide the ritual aspect from those two kids. They, uh, the psychological foundation being completely reshaped, re-informed. So they, they're not, they not thinking they're the pure Tibetan anymore, mm. I think. In this sense, it's the visual genocide, I think. Mm. It completely shifted into another language, the cultural genocide, from such a young age, age four to six. Mm. It's a forceful, parents has no choice. If they had a choice, it's another story. Mm. They don't have a choice. That means forcefully implementing this kind of program uh, by using the state power, that's a country, the China is a powerful a state, they a powerful country. I think economically, I don't agree with the other part, As a powerful country.
1: Mm. They would have to learn about uh, Xi Jinping's thought and about the structures of the party.
0: Absolutely, that would... absolutely. Um, in the prior, pre, boarding preschool material, the reading material, we don't call this a curriculum, but we call it the reading material. Mm-hmm. It's all filled with Communist Party's mission, Chinese nationalist ideology there, and then also Xi Jinping's and there too. That's a field. And then uh, again, seriously, they're also putting uh, the Chinese soldier Fighting, having a war with a uh, Japanese uh, soldier. And then they completely imagine Tibetan kids as a pure Chinese case to hit Japanese.
1: Hmm.
0: So this is a hatred. They're informing another form of the hatred from such a young age. Hmm. So, hatred means do you hit, whether you hit uh, Japanese or other.
1: Oh, Taiwanese. Or, yeah. Yes.
0: And the, later, the way they will orient them to hit it. At this age, they're just informing the type of the hatred associated with their Chinese and nationalist ideology.
1: And this is a very dangerous stage because we've just heard from Xi Jinping during the two sessions uh-huh. that the rhetoric of war and preparing for war, And we've just also heard um, about military mobilization offices, new ones that have been set up, one of them in Tibet, and several obviously in Chinese cities. And the the rhetoric is ramping up, of course, against Taiwan.
0: Yes.
1: So this is a very dangerous phase, and they've clearly decided that then influencing the younger generation, this is the way that Mm -hmm. they are going to
0: harness this. So, actually, mm. um, based on my understanding, my mm. knowledge, uh, in knowing the Chinese, they've been prepared this for half a century. Mm. It's not about Xi Jinping. Mm. Xi Jinping thinks, now we have power enough. We're power enough. In 2016, when I heard, it, it's a very common se- conversation when I was in, in China in 2016. On the ground, they say, oh, now it's a time for us to rule the world. Mm-hmm. How you rule the world? When it's economic influence, if the economic influence fail, now you use force. Mm-hmm. Now we have uh, enough soldiers, equipment, the weapons. Mm-hmm. So it's about They prepared this, this force half century, I think. But Xi Jinping speeded up this. He accelerated. Yeah. He accelerated this level of awareness in having the the time to have the war with the international community or the the democratic country system. Mm -hmm. They wanted to rule their world because Mm -hmm. um, every day when they, doing the exercise in the army system, they always did be ready for, for war. That's number of the years, it's not the reason. But mm-hmm. recently, Xi Jinping accelerated level of the temperature about this kind of or uh, mm-hmm. sense having the war with others. I think, to me, uh, the international community, especially Japan, and North Korea, uh, Taiwan and India needed to know this more deeper uh, understanding uh, how China prepared, initialized this idea from where, you know? When you teach, when I was teaching the history of the Communist Party, you know, in 1991, uh, Mm -hmm. in a Tibetan boarding school, I did an experimental teaching there, they asked me to teach the history course, and that's so. At that time, I was so happy. Okay, teach Tibetan history. Then the content of the book is a complete different. Mm-hmm. They were asking me to teach uh, Communist Party's history of the revolution in, in Tibetan language. You know, that's good. just just the early in 1995. I think
1: how did you manage that situation?
0: And then sometime I uh, put the Tibetan history content. Mm. You know, at that time we're doing this, they're doing this, we're doing this. Our history, in our history, the parallel time, and we're doing this, this. This only be able to as a teacher while teaching in the classroom. This is only the chance for me to explain it that way.
1: Mm.
0: No other chance. I can't change the curriculum. We don't have a power to change it. So I think the ministry's teacher did that too. Mm. Uh, while they ask you to teach the history of them, then we context of our history a little bit in the, where it could apply. Mm. Right? That part. So in terms of the China, I think it becoming more uh, ideologically become violent, I think. They wanted to implement their ideology by violence, maybe. Uh, for example, they wanted to have a war, because they training training, one of the major slogan slogans tra- in training with the, their army soldiers, they always say, be ready for war. When you get in the war, you have a capacity and a win the war. war not only engage the war you have to uh, get the level to win the war right you know that's kind of it's very dangerous i think it's not all the way of the experience we're having now the xinjiang the tibetan and the hong kong mongolia i think if we they succeeded the war with the rest of the uh, world or even if
1: they go, yeah, to, Taiwan, lose, if yeah, they go to Taiwan. Yeah, we lose
0: against protecting Taiwan. I think they will step up to further to interfere mm. the other countries. That's
1: turn of course, them
0: into the way their their system, mm-hmm. I think. That's a very dead, it's, it's a, Now, what we're facing now is possibly in the future, they're going to implement it to the global context. The mm-hmm. one they're going to, if let them succeed, then it's a very dangerous, I think. So, in this sense, I think uh, international community or democratic society, country, allies need to increase more the quality of the solidarity to firmly stand together very strongly to turn to China, or to China prevent. China turn that way. The dangerous way, I think. That's important.
1: Given your experience in the last year or so of speaking to different governments, Western democracies, governments, parliamentarians, what do you think is, um, what are your impressions about bearing witness and about uh, how Western governments can Influence this trajectory that China is on. Uh, I think because China is completely yeah, averse yeah. to listening to anybody outside, yeah. of course. Yeah. So, can uh, they create change?
0: Uh, they can change for sure. Now, if the ten years or more than five years, and then we're going to be situation going to be too late to change them. I think now it's a time to change them. Because they're, after the lockdown of the pandemic, they're in a the weak position. So we stand China together. in a weak yeah. position. Hmm. We, uh, democratic country, need stand together very strongly. Um, then they can make a change. Because the China, the way China uh, interferes in the global context by economic uh, influence. The Western country is sometimes the leader who didn't see this part. I think the China always associates the political agenda with their economic uh, cooperation with the Western country. You cannot separate. Our Western leaders sometimes, somehow, they think it can separate. Economic, economic, uh, the polit- politics we can separate now. You cannot uh, separate with Chinese because the Chinese already ties the economic and the politics as one. This is the need to be careful about this. So I carefully observing the international uh, media and the international leadership who are thinking, uh, we want to do economic uh, cooperation. Well, at the same time, we'll talk about the. Human right and other concern, it won't work. Won't work. Never gonna work. And then they Chinese think those kind of leaders as a leader are so naive. From their point of view, this guy is a naive guy. We can treat him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We can cheat him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's you cannot separate. You know, Western country need have to think as a one when you're dealing with the Chinese people, they're always tying their political agenda and idea plan with uh, economic uh, cooperation. I think if Western country and the leadership will know this, and then they will find out, easy to fi- easily to find out how to treat Chinese. First, the second thing is the Chinese and the Communist Party system, I think, break breaking two groups, I think now. As a secret source, I got from Chinese, China, they're breaking into two groups, from top to the uh, county level. But there, I think we need to find a way to support the opposite of the Xi Jinping's group, the group who fighting with China, Xi Jinping. If we support them, the only way to diminish the party in China. The, uh, the internal breakout—that's mm. his a, a safer way, mm. I think. Well, in order to do that, and then you need to support the opposite group of the Xi Jinping, I think.
1: Mm. There are probably many factions, I imagine, many factions. So your argument would be that Western governments need to work harder to try to identify. Uh, those people who are pushing for change inside the PRC. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. And also the normal Chinese people, scholars, uh, I had uh, many conversations with those scholars and the people, they say, we don't need a party anymore. It's extra expense. You know, the government have a two system, we needed to fit them to double system. We don't need it. We have a government system, that's, if they function uh, well, then we don't need a party system. And the do extra. you think that
1: is gaining ground? That idea. Yeah,
0: yeah, have yeah. that ground
1: articulating.
0: Yeah. Yes. We have that ground. Are that. Yeah. Yes. They ha- we have that gra- mm. kind of ground. I think we have that kind of people there. Mm. Not many, many, but a uh, number of the good scholars thinking mm. that way. Right. Mm. If we easily turn into the democratic uh, state and the country system, we only need a government system without the party system. Yeah. I got a conversation with a number of the Chinese scholars there. Mm. And also on the ground level, the ordinary people could see the situation. They also have this kind of opinion. Mm. Yeah.
1: The government of India, of course, have direct experience of of dealing very, you know, there, there, on the border. There's a lot of tension on the border now. it's also very much in the government of India's interests to protect the Tibetan civilization. So many Himalayan Buddhists, mm-hmm. around around 50 million people across yeah. the Indian and Nepalese Himalayas, yeah, yeah. are loyal to the Dalai Lama and to Buddhism and yeah. so on. And so you would also suggest that the government of India need to be very alert to what's happening in these schools, yeah. the efforts to influence the younger generations in Tibet, and to
0: I think for India, uh, my uh, suggestion would be like this: or oh, never trust what they say, but trust what they do. You you make your decision based on what they do, not what they say. Mm-hmm. That's a very uh, serious, I think. China people it has a high school to lie people. They say something nice do differently. Even individual people, ordinary people do not too. Mm-hmm. I have been dealing with uh, working with those Chinese figures, Chinese scholars, and people almost over three decades. I know them how to does that work. Mm-hmm. They have uh, their own plan, never said to you, never share with you. But they can cheat you and then let you do the way that he wants. At the end, they're going to take action. At that time, you're too late. You know? In this sense, I think the Indian or other countries too, I think you never trust what they say. Yes, you need to see what they do. Your decision should be based on what they do, not about based on what they say, I think. Mm. This is a characteristic of the uh, China's culture, mm. and Chinese people's personality. It's the way it carries out from the history, their culture. Mm. But at the same time, Chinese Communist Party also destroyed their valuable culture too. Yes. Yeah their valuable culture, valuable culture not there in the society, no, nowhere to practice it, then people fully turn into what the Chinese Communist party designed throughout the, their education system, mm-hmm. you know. That's why the army and the red card and all those officials easily can be organized as a uniform. where the uniform behavior in the same way, like everything they do is in this way. This is designed. Uh, they prepared this from the uh, early education age. Now, they wanted to eradicate our culture and uh, identity, language, everything. They speed it up. Xi Jinping it up from age four to six. Yeah.
1: And you were recently in India and you saw the Dalai Lama. Yeah. That must have been a very powerful meeting for you. Yeah.
0: I saw it. Uh, I reached the full meaning of my life after I had Adi with Dalai Lama. <sighs> i totally satisfied with my life. I feel like that. Because I almost get one hour meeting with him. We uh, get a very deep emotional change, Mm -hmm. while crying, I cried almost uh, all the time. And, he also giving also, you know, invisible emotional exchange, but, I moved him a lot, I think, at the same time. Um, I appreciate it, when you mentioned India, and um, as a scholar, I know how much, should I appreciate that, uh, grateful for Indian sports, that's a, such a significant, to maintain our history, mm. and uh, maintain this nation, mm. have a future. That's, uh, I see that level, So, my appreciation and grateful from that kind of ground. Um, Wherever I see Indian Indian people, I I don't know, I'd be nice to them. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, uh, when I arrived in Toronto in January 2nd, 2021, um, I did, uh, a butter w- uh, job in uh, the coffee shop there's an Indian two Indian guy
1: mm.
0: started learning the cooking in the restaurant in that restaurant. We collaborate we even we don't know each other before in the restaurant we collaborate so very well that yeah I, mean, I sort We've of understood said, well, each other yeah, somehow yeah. Mm. Mm. I supported him. He appreciated me. Oh. At the end, he says, you are my father more than uh, the advice I got from my father, he says. "India guy. At age of 22, I think. <laughs> pretty good in college of students. Mm, mm. Yeah. A concrete example like that.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So then were you one of the highest educated Tibetan scholars from Amdo who've yeah. worked at the highest levels of Chinese and Tibetan education yeah. working in a coffee shop with, with uh, an Indian young man
0: yeah mm-hmm. so that's a concrete yes. example I can that's a this, you know. journey um, um, so and His the...
1: Holiness won't have the Dalai Lama won't have had um, many opportunities to speak to anybody like you for some years um, because the scholars have stopped coming
0: yeah. from Tibet, yeah. they're not yeah. able to travel. For me, is I learned the cultural and, uh, experience and education, and I also get a PhD from Western country university. Mm. And quite, a, I think, uh, that know uh, the academic level in the Tibetan culture, and also in the academic level, in the English uh, sociology. So in this area I can do the top work. Yeah. Mm. I'm not sure the other part, but uh, in sociology part, I can do the top for the uh, Tibet, Mm. yeah.
1: And you have brought a very precious testimony to the Dalai Lama and the Tibetans in exile. And what gives you hope in terms of those connections with the Tibetans in the diaspora and the Tibetans inside Tibet? Because there's such a huge gulf now uh, between them. I think what, there's, what binds a, them there's
0: together? a very good commonality there, I realized, after I visited Dalam Sala. And while also working, traveling around the West Country here, I feel that while Chinese is educated our young generation uh, not that much in culture, but by raising high nationalism, and then they also raised our Tibetan nationalism too. Our young generation has a greater passion on the Tibetan nationalism. For And at the same time, I saw the same way in the diaspora, the Tibetan youth. They have a good quality of the education. They have a good pa- passion. That's the similarity in the uh, with our youth in the, from inside outside. I gave the uh, advice somewhere. I think needed we needed to prepare to be the leadership to lead those youth in the future, both inside and outside together. That's so important. And even after his holiness passed away, that's only the hope we can have. I think.
1: So this is yeah. not about a material culture, a materialistic no. culture. No, This no. is about a more intangible yes. means of connection, yes. a more yes. spiritual Tibetan yeah. Buddhist yeah. civilization.
0: This is a, this is about uh, Tibetan uh, nationalist, I think. Tibetan
1: patriotic,
0: I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the as a glue will be will tie them together from inside outside the youth, I think. Um, the inside people, since the Chinese exclude the Tibetan uh, Buddhism in the uh, textbook classroom, they don't learn that much. I think they don't have it. Mm-hmm now they only have is a nationalist idea, nationalism, nationalist patriarchy and uh, outside the kids also have the similar way. So I think this is a great hope someone to carry out the leadership to from the both for the both inside and outside the youth. That's so important I think.
1: So I think that's a good place to end our conversation. And thank you so much,
0: Genla. Really My appreciate
1: your time. Thank you.
0: My pleasure. Thank you, uh, too, for your uh, chance to talk in about the Tibetan issue here.
1: <laughs> thank you.
0: My pleasure.